0: Merry Christmas to you. Wasn't as enthusiastic as I was hoping. <laughs> Jeff got a big Merry Christmas back. I don't, I don't want to measure anything, but um, I, if you don't know who I am, other than the person that's giving a guilt trip right now, my name is Jay, and I'm one of the pastors, and And we're really glad that you are here with us this evening. Uh, we understand Um, that Christmas um, at Christmas time uh, we have a lot of people here who who aren't usually here sometimes it's family from out of town sometimes it's you know friends that are that are local but whatever the situation is whatever your situation is just know two things one we are really glad that you're here and um, we would love to to get to meet you Um, and and one of the ways that you can help us do that is if you would do me a favor because after Christmas Eve, I know that everyone has things that they want to go do and and um, if you were dragged here you 're probably going to drag people out quickly, and I get that, but if you could do me a favor, we have communication cards that are in the seatbacks in front of you, and if uh, if any time during this service you think man i I wonder you know what it would be like to try to follow Jesus or to believe, and and maybe you're not sure what you believe, or you don't know um, what it would be like to to pursue Jesus um, in a church family, I would love it if you would just write down your contact information on that card. And you can slip it in the, one of those um, black boxes at the door, at our offering boxes. You can just put it in there. And I promise you that we will not harass you. We will not, like, spam you. Um, we'll just reach out. And if you respond back to us, then we will connect with you and um, maybe get together with you and, or talk to you and see, um, hear your story and hear how we can pray for you. Um, or you can just ignore us. And um, there's really no loss at all for that. But, um, but what I do know is that, if, if God is, is um, moving in you this evening, then I would love for you, I would just encourage you to respond to that, and don't let that go past, um, because that's the other thing that I know, is that you're not here by accident, and you may think that you're here um, by accident or because of travel plans or because of, you know, someone just brought you, um, but you are here because the living God, the creator of the universe, um, brought you here this evening, and, and so my hope is that you will um, be open to what he has for you. Um, and again, we are, we are glad that you are here. Um, I have a question for the kids who are in here right now. How many of you, by show of hands, are excited that it is Christmas Eve? And are excited that you are, we are in Christmas season. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, and now now this is, this is dangerous, but I'm going to ask you for an actual response back, okay? So, a verbal response. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you this. What is your favorite thing about Christmas? Everything? All right, presents? Family? Everything, yeah, everything, right? This sermon, right? I heard that. Great. It's good. Yeah. What, what, any Food. I heard food. That's wonderful. Um, what else? Fun. Presents. What about school? Anybody excited about, like, no school? Yeah. Yeah, excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> Parents are like, nope, not excited about that. Really um, could, wish we could just do school. Like, why don't we have school's Christmas Eve service? That would be great. Um, There's this thing, this excitement, and you can always feel it with kids around at Christmas. And you see it like as they got up here, they were all nervous to come up here and read their their passages that they've been working on. And they're just they're they're so excited about it and and admit it like as adults we look at that and we, we participate in it a little bit we get excited we see it you know whether you have children small children at home or not if you're out um, at, at Walmart which is the most joyful place on earth at this time of year um, I've been there twice in the last two days and I can verify happiest place on earth um, for sure and like whenever you see it though and you see the excitement. Um, on kids' faces and the joy and the wonder, and no wonder we have phrases like, you know, like, well, they're happier than a, than a kid on Christmas. And we ask, like, why are they so happy? And they tell us, like, they don't have school, they get presents, they're together, I heard family and food, they get to celebrate and be together all day. Now, of course, they get the joy of not having to worry about how you're going to pay for everything or cleaning up everything, like after all the messes that all this stuff makes, and the things that, that we buy that then break in a few days, like none of that stuff registers to them at all. They are joyfully just completely naive to all of that. And their joy is tangible. Their joy is felt and there's this thought that happens when we see that and when kids wonder, and I remember wondering as a kid of like, why can't Christmas be every day? Why can't this be what life is like every day? And there's a reason that we desire that. There's a reason that even as children, we, we want that. And it's not foolishness, it's actually the way we were designed, so the reason why kids are so excited on Christmas Day and the reason why when we have those positive experiences and whatever our best Christmas memories are, the reason why we wish that that could be the case all the time is because we were created to experience that all the time. That when God created the heavens and the earth and he created man and he created woman, he created them, to experience all those things that those kids just mentioned that they were excited about for christmas we were created to experience those things all the time you know adam and eve in the garden all those things we just talked about they 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 didn't like when kids say well i don't have to go to school like adam and eve had work but it was joyful work it was fruitful work it was it was meaningful it wasn't a burden It wasn't crushing. They got presents every day from God as they discovered new things in creation that God had created for them. They were together with their father on strolls through the garden every evening. And we look at that account and we think of it as a fairy tale rather than how things were supposed to be. But what the Bible says is that's not a fairy tale. It's not foolishness. That's actually how we were created. And it would not take long for us to look around at each other and say, but that is not our experience. That even Christmas, for many of us, is not the joyful thing that we see. So even if we were to say, like, you could experience Christmas every day, for many of us in this room, that would not necessarily be a joyful thing. That there's, it represents a reminder of a lot of loss and a lot of pain. And so even that very thing is scarred and marred. And so we look around and we think, well, not only do I not feel free from the burden of work, I feel overwhelmed with all the things that I have to do. My relationships aren't everything that I want them to be. I feel overwhelmed. I feel rushed. I feel the opposite of rested. And all I seem to be getting as far as gifts go is just coal. Just experience after experience, just another thing hitting me. It's broken. And the Bible gives an answer for why it's broken, and it is our rebellion. And the second the concept of our rebellion, or what we call our sin second that that comes into the picture, then all of our childlike defenses come up. So when we aren't like a child in the joy of Christmas, when we look around and sometimes we talk about recapturing the joy of the child, the wonder of the child, faith of a child, and to to try to grasp that and, and harness that and take that as our own, we struggle with that. But there's another side of childlike tendencies that we just dive full in because the second that the the concept of my sin being the cause of the fracturing the brokenness around me all of a sudden I start to think and act very much like a child my sin what about their sin do you see what they did it's not my fault I don't I don't want this present I want that one why did they get all the good stuff this might be hitting too close to home for some of you right now if it is, then know that I can relate. And we so quickly do that in our lives, right? We look around and we say, well, if God is so good, then why is this the hand I've been dealt? Why did this happen to me? Why does that person prosper? And even in scripture, when the, when followers of God say, like, why do the wicked prosper? Why is that happening around there? Okay, God, if you are good and you give good gifts and we were designed for this, then why is it such a mess And we realize as we start saying that and we put that on a child and we think about it in those terms, we would think, ah, what would you think of a child who said things like that? See, the problem isn't that God doesn't give good gifts. The problem is that just like Adam and Eve, we think we know better what we deserve and what is good and what we really want. And it's true that the world is broken all around us, but what keeps us from true joy is the brokenness in us, our rebellion, our refusal to trust that God is a good father, that even the painful things are building blocks for our eternal joy. And since Adam and Eve first went down that road, we have been living under the curse of constantly desiring that which will destroy us. Every single one of us in this room have experiences where we wanted something and we got it only to realize it caused us harm. And that is why Jesus became flesh. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So in our brokenness, Jesus redeems us. God doesn't leave us in our rebellion. He redeems us. He buys us back through the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our rebellion. But as long as you and I, as long as you don't see your rebellion, then you won't see the beauty of redemption. If you don't see your own rebellion, then you will not see the beauty of redemption. But if you do see it, And it is glorious. And you see in the cross an incredible sacrifice of love, Jesus' redemption of us. He buys all of our brokenness back and he makes it whole. He takes our sin, he buys it back and gives us righteousness. He takes our past and he buys it back and he turns it into a future that glorifies him. He takes our suffering and he buys it back and he resurrects it as joy. He even takes death and he buys it back and he turns it into life. Whatever thing you come here with, whatever regret, whatever past, whatever brokenness, the promise of the cross is that through our repentance of our rebellion against God, that he buys that back and he resurrects it as something beautiful. Paul is a great example of this, the Apostle Paul, because Paul persecuted the church, putting followers of Jesus to death. And Jesus redeems him, redeems his story, and uses it so that Paul can say, essentially, if Jesus can save me, he can save anyone. Paul is given a new identity and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he walks in it and that's what we call renewal. That once we receive the redemption of Jesus and he buys us back and he says, you now belong to me, he gives us a new identity and then empowers us to walk in that new identity. That's renewal. And one of the things that that renewed identity gives us is a joy that is unquenchable. They they tried to steal Paul's joy And they did it in pretty extreme ways. They tried to take his joy by persecuting him, beating him, trying to kill him, making his life miserable. And in the book of Philippians, we see his response to all of that. In Philippians 1, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that, we have this, we, we see Paul. We see Paul as he is threatened. His very life is threatened. And they say, Paul, we're going to kill you. And he says, kill me. To die is gain. By gain, just means like I get to inherit everything that Jesus promised for me. Like, so, so kill me in my life. And they say, all right, fine. We're going to let you live. And he goes, great. To live is Christ. I get to like participate in his work. So if you let me live, then I get to go and do the ministry that Jesus has given me. And so then they say, okay, well, fine, we're going to, we're going to beat you and make you suffer and we're going to slander you. And he says, great. Then I get to share in his sufferings. It just brings me closer to him. We've talked about this before, but can you imagine how annoying Paul had to be for people who were trying to destroy him? Like, There's nothing they can do to him. And I just look at his life and I think that's what I want. I want to have a joy that is so deep and so abiding. Whatever is thrown at me, whether it's cancer and illness or whether it's the the daily grind of life or whether it's people trying to, to slander and to destroy me or whether it's the enemy trying to lie and get me to turn from him that no matter what happens, my joy remains steadfast. That I have the joy that I see on my kids' faces on Christmas morning. That that is everywhere at all times. And that's where Paul is, which is why he says then later in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. and We see his joy is there because God is with him. God will never leave him or forsake him. He rejoices because he knows that his suffering, though painful, will turn to joy. He rejoices because he knows that even his death will be redeemed into life. He has joy because whatever he is called to on any given day, he knows that his God is sovereign and good and sees him and knows him. The Lord is at hand, not just in the future, but today. So that's the promise of Scripture. That's the gospel narrative, that he sees you, he knows you, he has a plan for you to redeem you, to buy you back from the brokenness of your own rebellion, and to give you a new identity so that you're no longer identified by your sin or by your brokenness, or by your past mistakes. But you're given a new identity of son, daughter, of heir. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit to walk in that, to experience the abundant life that he has for you. And those of you who have that know what I'm talking about, and it still is hard. I just wonder what would it look like if, just for one day, we practiced joy. For one day, we've talked about before how in northeast Wisconsin we like everything needs to have a little bit of edge of grumbling just to make it worthy, right? So how are you doing? Good, busy, busy, but good. Could be worse. Can't complain. Better than some. Better than that guy? What if we just practiced joy? What if we believed our identity that we were sons and daughters of the King and heirs to a treasure and inheritance that is unfading and being kept for us? To live, to believe that every trial would allow me, every suffering would allow me to share in the sufferings of Christ and to know Him better that to live my day-to-day life wherever I'm going, to live is Christ, to be salt and light, that even to die is gain, to receive the great inheritance promised to us. If you're anything like me, we get in such a pattern of behavior that we just, out of habit, we respond. I find myself sometimes snapping at my kids even when I'm not upset with them. Because I just need him to hurry a little bit, or I'm just expecting myself to feel that way or whatever, and I stop and think, you're not even upset right now. You're gotten in that situation where you just respond out of habit and you don't even realize what you're thinking or what you're feeling, like what if we stopped and said, when we had those thoughts of grumbling and complaining, and just say, That's not who I am. That's not who I am anymore. My identity is not a person who's controlled by their circumstances or by what other people do or what they think of me, or even by what happens in this world. My identity is forgiven and rescued and adopted and heir to a kingdom. What if I lived my life with that kind of joy, knowing that every day, every wrong that I've committed has been forgiven. That every wrong that has been committed against me will be made right. That everything that I need will be provided and everything that I sacrifice or give up for the name of Jesus will be repaid a hundredfold. If we truly believe that, what would our joy be like? So you see, when we look at these kids and we see them and their joy on Christmas One of the things that happens as we get older is that we think of children on Christmas as being just naive to how the world really works and innocent. And we think, well, someday they'll grow up. And we think that maturity means to be hardened by life, to realize that you don't always get what you want, to be thankful because it could always be worse. But what if maturity actually pushes the opposite direction? What if our excitement for every day only increased because we weren't, not because we were anticipating plastic toys that we'll lose interest in in a few days, but that our desires actually became deeper and richer and more fulfilled in Christ. That our desires for an inheritance that is unfading rather than things that pass away What if the joy of being secure and and content with our family lasted not because of knowing like our our days are numbered here on earth, but to know that we, we don't just have our parents for a few hours or our children for a few years before the stresses of the world start to overcome that, but that we have consistent intimacy with our Father in heaven who is never rushed and who never lays burdens on us. Like what if the joy, the the freedom from responsibilities for a couple of days, what if that not only lasted but increased and deepened as we realize that our Lord gives us a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light? That is our true identity in Christ. So if that is your identity, then practice it today. If it is not your identity, then it is yours for the taking. Turn to him. And as you see childlike joy and wonder tonight and tomorrow, remember that it is pointing to something. Not something worse or hardened or more realistic, but something far more magical, something far more exciting, far more lasting, and far more joyful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, that we do get this time to celebrate. And Lord, I pray that we would, in this season, that we would see the joy. And that even as the angels declared, that the angels knew what was happening. And so no wonder they sang and they rejoiced because they knew what no one on earth could possibly imagine. That the creator of the universe had become flesh and submitted himself to his creation so that we might be rescued and redeemed and adopted. That we might have an inheritance that is unfading. That we might know what it is to be loved and to be renewed and to have abundant life. So no wonder they looked at all of it and could not contain their joy. I pray, Lord, that that joy would be contagious in us and that it would not decrease as the calendar turns to the 26th, the 27th, and on, but that it would increase and intensify and deepen and be unquenchable for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.